This is why you better think twice before you let him put a ring on it. And why rushing into commitment isn't always the best decision. I'm Carrie Heron, speaker, media content queen, and consultant to governments and businesses and leaders, inviting you into this episode of Thrive with Carrie. So, this episode may ruffle many feathers. I'm okay with that. Sometimes the truth shakes things up, challenges us, disrupts the status quo, and confronts us in ways that are initially uncomfortable. But if we are willing to simply take it on board, will benefit from. So I said all this to say, watch this video all the way through to the end. But also right now, I need you to hit like and subscribe to help my channel grow and reach people who really want to expand into the fullness of their purpose, no matter what. Please share this with at least seven people, young and mature, because as I shared in the first episode of this season, mature women are also making very costly mistakes in relationships. Housekeeping matters done. Let's get deep into the topic of the hour. Why you better think twice before you let him put a ring on it. Full disclosure, I've been married myself and divorced. Hence, no ring on the ring finger. I was married for 10 years before filing for divorce. And my divorce is not the topic of this video. But my experience does help to inform what I'm about to say, even though it does not define it. I'm not a jaded, divorced woman. I'm not an embittered woman who's embittered by love. On contrary, I'm a woman who fully believes in the beauty of love and that it not only exists, but it's part of my near future and my lasting legacy. God is love and he gives us the desires of our hearts when we delight in him. Yes, I absolutely desire an intimate marriage relationship rooted and grounded in God's love for the purpose of being a blessing to my future husband and I, our family, together and in advancing the kingdom. Marriage, I believe, is serious business. Now that is fully established, that is exactly why you better think twice before you let him put a ring on it. This is wedding season. As an ordained prophet to the nations, I know what I know for sure. And that is God is restoring the sound and celebration of marriage as part of the revival that is being stirred up in this earth. Marriage symbolizes the power of agreement and from which multiplication is its fruit. The first command that God gave man, that is both man and woman in the Garden of Eden was to be fruitful and multiply. Man cannot multiply without woman, neither can woman multiply without man. We need each other to accomplish our divine mandate. And so that's why marriage is so, so important and ought not to be entered to with frivolity. Marriage is not just any agreement, though it is an agreement. It's not just a legal contract though it is a legal contract. What defines marriage in the original sense for which God intended it was a covenant. A covenant is a legal agreement that is binding until death. And this is why marriage vows typically say, until death do us part. It's not something that we should arbitrarily walk in and out of, but can we? Can we arbitrarily walk in and out of marriage? 
Absolutely. In today's cultures and context worldwide, it's easier and easier to do both walk into marriage and just as quickly exit a marriage. Even royal marriages sometimes end with the messy divorce proceedings of commoners. Back in the day, King Henry VIII had to create a whole new denomination, the Protestant Anglican Diocese, in order to be granted a divorce and be able to legally remarry in England. That's why the church officially became known as the Church of England, because it took over from the Roman Catholic tradition of absolutely no divorce ever. So they made the Church of England the Anglican Church, and so they could abide by these new laws that allowed divorce and remarriage in the Anglican diocese. So this was centuries ago. Nowadays, it's not such a social pariah to be labeled a divorcee as it once was. So it has become easier to exit marriages than ever before without an incredible sense of loss to one's social status. And that's not a generalization. It's not easy and still not in all situations and social, religious and cultural contexts to be divorced or to enter into divorce. But it's certainly easier or at least more people are exercising their rights to leave bad marriages than in previous generations. Statistics say roughly 50% of first marriages end in divorce. 80% of all divorces are initiated by women. And I think that's because of a few reasons. Women are more willing to walk away from a marriage because I feel that women feel the brunt of a bad relationship. And having done everything in their power to improve the marriage, eventually they realize that some men are just stuck in their ways and do not wish to work and do all the work it takes to take that bad version of their marriage to end that and to create something new and better, more prosperous. Sometimes you have to just end things as they are and start anew. And that doesn't always mean divorce. It could mean simply creating a new map for a healthier marriage. But if both spouses are not committed to the process themselves and eventually things can be overwhelming and in very toxic, dysfunctional and traumatic circumstances, separation might be necessary to even begin the healing process. But today I'm here to help you to avoid getting to that place. And one of the best ways to do so is actually from the very beginning. While God is ultimately the only one who knows the end from the beginning, there are some things that we can learn to see and discern from the beginning ourselves. And those, my dears, are red flags. Consider red flags as life's warnings of major roadworks ahead that present conditions that could compromise your safety and that of others. When you're driving on a road and you see red flags, the very first thing you do is slow down. And then you begin to scan your surroundings more meticulously to assess what exactly you may be heading into. This should be the same when entering relationships. And this is kind of tricky because as I said earlier, it is wedding season and many who are believing God for their kingdom spouses will find them and get married. But remember that when God decrees a thing and makes it known, the enemy also tries to copy and make counterfeits to subvert that thing. As a sign of God's hand, restoration is often accompanied with great speed What didn't happen in decades can often and does indeed happen suddenly. 
but you must be sure you are actually hearing from God with him confirming his word through multiple sources so that you are accepting the ring of the real God thing and not a counterfeit, a good thing from the pit of hell. The one thing that usually allows us to increase our capacity to discern accurately is time. That's why slowing things down increases the distance between you and the marriage encounter and gives you more time to judge according to righteous judgment and not merely by appearances. Because the deception is in the appearance. The counterfeit appears like the real thing. It seems like and gives the impression of being the real thing. It may even mimic the behavior of the real thing. Have you ever heard looks good on paper? In Jamaica, where I grew up, we have a concept called spirit tech. And this is where your spirit is either taken with a person, as in your intuition is in agreement with this person, or the opposite, spirit notic to a person. And oftentimes when this, the latter case happens, it's the things about this person, their appearance will seem right on paper. But there's an undercurrent gut feeling that does not match or verify the appearances of the person. And that is long before evidence is even available to be proven either way. It's just something that happens in the spirit. It is an internal check that we learn to develop and pay serious attention to, even in the absence of concrete evidence. To appear is also a verb indicating a public performance by playing a role in a movie or a play. There is also a magical connotation because it just comes into existence. Voila, abracadabra. Counterfeits come with all the charm and of the real thing and will woo you with words until they win you. In fact, I paraphrase that from my favorite poem by Jamaican poet Lorna Goodison, which interestingly is a great illustration of today's topic of discussion. Walk with me. Let's go into it. It goes thus. Type to love it is. For my mother, may I inherit half her strength. My mother loved my father. I write this as an absolute in this my 30th year, the year to discard absolutes. He appeared her fate disguised as a Sunday player in a cricket match. He had ridden from a country 100 miles south of hers. She tells me he dressed the part. Visiting dandy, maroon blazer, cream serge pants, seam like razor, and the beret and the two-tone shoes. My father stopped to speak to her sister, till he looked and saw her by the oleander, sure in the kingdom of my blue-eyed grandmother. He never played the cricket match that day. He wooed her with words and he won her. He had nothing but words to woo her. On a visit to distant Kingston, he wrote, I stood on the corner of King Street and looked and not one woman in that town was as lovely as you. My mother was a child of the petite bourgeoisie. Studying to be a teacher, she oiled her hands to hold pens. My mother's trousseau came by steamer through the snows of Montreal 
where her sisters Alberta, the cheekbones, and the perennial rose combed Juliet back streets with French-turned names for Doris's wedding things. Such a wedding Harvey River had never seen. Who anywhere had seen a veil fifteen chantilly yards long, and a crepe de chine dress with inlets of silk goddets, and a neckline clasped with jeweled pins? And on her wedding day, she wept. For it was a brazen bride in those days who smiled, and her bouquet looked for the world like a sheaf of wheat against the unknown of her belly, a sheaf of wheat backed by maidenhair fern representing Harvey River, her face washed by something other than river water. My father made one assertive move. He took the imported cherub down from the heights of the cake and dropped it in the soft territory between her breasts. And she cried. When I came to know my mother many years later, I knew her as a figure who sat at the first thing I learned to read, singer. And she breastfed my brother while she sewed, and she taught us to read while she sewed, and she sat in judgment over all our disputes as she sewed. She could work miracles. She could make a garment from a square of cloth in a span that defied time or feed 20 people on a stew made from fallen off the head cabbage, leaves and carrots and a chocho and a palm full of meat. And she rose early and sent us clean into the world. And she went to bed in the dark for my mother came in always last. There's a place somewhere where my mother never took the younger ones. A country where my father with an always smile. My father, whom all women loved, who had the perpetual quality of wonder given only to a child, hurt his bride. Even at his death, there was this friend who stood by her side. But my mother is adamant that that has no place in the memory of my father. When he died, she sewed dark dresses for the women amongst us. And she summoned the walk straight-backed that she gave us and buried him, dried-eyed. Just that morning, weeks after... She stood delivering bananas from their skin, singing in that flat hill country voice. She fell down a note to the realization that she did not have to be brave just this once. And she cried. For her hands had grown coarse with raising nine children. For her body, for 20 years, permanently fat. For the time she pawned her machine for my sister's senior Cambridge fees. And for the pain she bore with the eyes of a queen and she cried also because she loved him <sighs> wasn't that something she wept as she was marrying him but she was dry-eyed at his funeral we must become tools of our own protection by partnering with our discernment just recently, I met a man who attempted to love bomb, future fake, and trauma dump on me so intensely that I felt myself feeling like I needed to run and cry the same day I met him. This was after just four days of our first conversation. He said all the right things. He had justifiable excuses for the things that prudently required further probing. 
But whilst he was saying the right things and seemed like God's promise to me answered in the potential life partner I was praying for, something in me felt like running for the hills. This is even with me seeing him respond in several ways supernaturally to my secret prayers as if to indicate that the hosts of heaven were singing in unison. This is the one. He is your Boaz. I asked that we slow things all the way down and it wasn't until I heard myself recounting the stories he told me to my own cousin that I realized that his stories sound more like incredulous fables. He was initially very intoxicating. Let's look into that word, intoxicate. It means inebriate, make drunk, make intoxicated, make inebriated, befuddle, fuddle, stupefy, to go to someone's head, to make someone's head spin, to make a legless woozy. All right? To exhilarate, delight, captivate, enthrall, entrance, enrapture, invigorate. Animate, enliven, excite, stir, rouse, move, inflame, electrify, fire with enthusiasm. Give someone a buzz, give someone a kick, ball over, tickle someone pink. Ooh, all of those things. But because I'm a praying woman and by the grace of God, Holy Spirit moved me to quickly sober up the opposite of intoxicate. Even in the midst of the intense spiritual and psychological intoxicants being poured out. This man saw that I was not going to be drunk of his verbal love spell. So he tried to amp up the future faking and the desperately, he desperately accelerated into the fifth gear of trauma dumping. But the spell had already been neutralized. And so it was abundantly clear that this person was trying to manipulate my emotions in order to create a false sense of connection or attachment. This person had a warm, friendly, and seemingly genuine smile. It looked and sounded so kind and gentle and sweet. But it wasn't until I allowed the wise counsel of others in there, in all of that, that the cracks started to become evident. You see, because of my past experiences, I've learned that I never lean on my own understanding in relationships. It's not good to be in a relationship just to be in a relationship. It's not okay to accept someone simply because they're there and it's convenient. It's not okay to accept a marriage proposal because of biological clocks or intense physical and psychological urges. It's not okay to create Ishmael's because the promise of the anointed Isaac has not yet come to pass. Ishmael will never be Isaac. So it's prudent to develop this discipline to share about every love interest from the very moment they appear to God and also to some trusted wise women or men of God who can help to keep you objective in a very vulnerable phase. I've learned to pray people out of my life. Yes, you heard me correctly. There are gentlemen who came on very thick and heavy, some professing strong emotions from decades who just ended up not being able to say another word. You see, the Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, 
and he will flee. These counterfeits ran into a shield of protection that revealed the truth of their hearts and intentions. When men appear, I've learned to draw closer to God. I start to hide myself even further in him because I do not trust my own feelings to make life decisions for me. Been there, done that. So if you want a different outcome, you must approach things differently. Why? Because feelings are not always true and are prone to manipulation. Trust God more than you trust your feelings. I also desire marriage that allows me to walk not only in God's good and acceptable will, but also his perfect will for my life. So you see, you have to be certain that you're not looking for a human being to become your savior. That's a dangerous space because counterfeits want to be your Messiah. You cannot afford to be deceived by your own desires. They will literally match and marry you and profess to be the bastion of holiness and righteousness that you've always been praying for and believing God so much for. They can feel like the answer to your prayers. You have to be vigilant because the enemy is prowling around looking for prey to devour. He wants to try to divert you from your divine destiny. Your marriage relationship is the single most important relationship you will enter into on earth. So you want to choose well. The devil disguises himself as an angel of light. So watch out for those counterfeits. You must learn to be wise as serpents, as Jesus said, because he sent out, out into this world as sheep among wolves. Why? Because the enemy is counting on you to be simple, easy, gullible, and foolish. This is why Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, You shall know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with what? Pride and love, pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They're the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janice and Jambres. And this is why we must judge people not by appearances, but by righteous judgment. What's righteous judgment, you ask? Their fruit. You shall know them, not by how they appear, but by their fruit. Red flags are like maggots in a rotten fruit. My grandfather, Harold Benjamin Allison, loved to eat his mangoes in the dark. 
But eating mangoes in the dark means you're really likely to be eating maggots as well. So, as we are in wedding season, shine the light on those mangoes that are presenting themselves to be your spouse. Slowing things down, taking them to the fiery altar of prayer and consecration, keeping your body consecrated, waiting to hear from God about them. Being watchful and fully observant because people always tell on themselves and subject yourself to wise counsel. I heard the late Miles Monroe say that he advises a courtship no shorter than one year with premarital counseling for that period for any couple who comes to him for marriage. I believe that's incredibly wise. He said, If you cannot maintain self-control for 12 months, you'll never last in marriage. I concur. I also think it gives more time to be able to go through different seasons with someone to see what there really lies beneath. Rushing quickly into marriage with a complete stranger, not known to you or anyone you know, is not wise counsel. Take your time. That does not mean that God cannot accelerate and speed things up, but you must be sure that you are truly hearing God and not your desires in a hollow echo chamber. So yes, double think before you let him put a ring on it. And when it's God, it will be good. It will be pure and it will be lovely. I want to hear from you. In the comments, share some of the topics that you want us to cover and persons you want us to interview in future episodes. And also send us your feedback about this podcast by sending us your voice notes via DM on Instagram at Chef and Steward, and we will play some in the upcoming episodes. See the description box for other ways to partner with us to support our mission to help you build healthier and wealthier relationships with yourself and others by feeding your soul, body, spirit, and pocket. I'm Carrie Heron, and you've been listening to Thrive with Carrie, created and produced by Chef and Steward Content Studio. Join us in the next episode on YouTube and download Thrive with Carrie on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.